It's tempting to look at a game like yesterday from Joey Bart in which he hit a double and he hit a home run and say, okay, he's figuring it out. He's going to earn his way to being that everyday catcher, starting catcher, number one catcher on the Giants in 2023. But hey, guess what? He does this every year in spring training. So we're going to talk about what to look out for and what to what actually indicates a player has improved in spring training next. You are locked on Giants. Your daily San Francisco Giants podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Giants, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on this show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday, talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs, and I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked On Giants your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get podcasts. Coming up on today's show, I just wanted to use the Joey Bart situation as kind of a reminder that spring training statistics are not necessarily indicative of how things are going to go in the regular season. And Joey Bart is like exhibit A. And I I feel like I'm piling on to Joey Bart and I'm really not. I'm just using him as an example here simply because, I mean, we can look at, okay, what did he do last year in spring? And did it translate to the major leagues? And we can look at, okay, in other years, like 2020, when he was so overmatched in the majors, what was he doing in spring, in major league camp? And the reality is he's just dominated in spring training every single year that he's been there. First year he played in major league camp was in 2019. He hit 350, 381 on base, 600 slugging. In 2020, he hit 389. 476 on base, 778 slugging. 2021, 423 average, 464 on base, 692 slugging. It's just literally every single year he dominates in spring. And so his career uh, spring training statistics are, you know, he's playing 51 games. It's not a not the smallest sample in the world. He has a 400 batting average with a 455 on base and 778 slugging. It's just kind of cartoonish numbers. And so It's just a perfect example of, I just think there's a tendency, casual fans certainly, but even beyond that, to look at spring training numbers like these and say, okay, I mean, I just, the point I'm trying to make is we cannot simply say if Joey Bart has a big spring in these kinds of numbers, which is, you know, hits, getting on base, hitting for power, that career spring training on uh, slugging of 778. You know, the different I talk about the importance of the difference between the average and the slugging. Well, that's a difference of almost 400. Uh, that would be the isolated power, which is just bonkers. I mean, he's done exceptionally well in spring. Uh, and so if he does exceptionally well again, as is his norm, does it mean anything? And the answer is no, it doesn't. I mean, it means he's an incredibly talented baseball player, right? You don't just do these kinds of things if you stink at baseball. And that's the thing about uh, the major leagues is so difficult. And so it's crazy. Guys can like dominate in AAA. Guys can dominate in spring training, but just the major league level is a different animal. The game is already really hard. I mean, exceptionally hard. And at the major league level, it's just almost impossible. And so anyway, I'm, I'm not saying my point is not 
therefore Joey Bart stinks and he has no shot. And so these numbers don't matter. My point is that these numbers don't tell us anything about whether or not he's going to succeed this year in the major leagues. And so when we talk about, okay, is the catcher's uh, position really like a wide open competition as Gabe Kapler and even I think Farhan Zaidi have indicated, Kapler has been pretty darn clear. I know some believe that this is just kind of motivational speak, but I tend to be on the other end of the spectrum where I really do believe he has something to prove here. Uh, And it's not just about like the weighted runs created plus, for example, or the OPS plus, which has been decent for a catcher for Bart in his major league career. It's for me, it's about the strikeouts and the swing and miss. You just can't be striking out almost half the time for long stretches. And that's what we've seen at times from Bart. We saw at the beginning of last year, he improved in the middle of the year, but then he was back to striking out like 45% of the time at the end of the year. And if that is happening again, I just, I don't think they're going to put up with it. And there are other players who they're going to prefer to give an opportunity to rather than deal with that, because it leads to so many like non-productive at-bats and non-competitive at-bats in important situations sometimes when you need to do something and So anyway, what are we actually looking for out of Bart in spring? Well, unfortunately, none of these Giants games are televised. I mean, we've had one game that was televised by the Cubs that we were able to see if you have MLB.tv, but a lot of teams televise a lot more of their games than the Giants do. I don't know what's up with that, but uh, for Bart, I mean, something I saw, I forget when it was. Was it against the Cubs in that game? I don't think it was. It may have been just a clip of him taking batting practice or something. But I noticed a simplified stance. And he's always been a guy, his feet are kind of close together. And then he takes a big kind of long stride, I guess. But what I saw from him in this clip, but I need to see it more on like television during games, is that his feet seem to be more spread out in his setup. And there's, it's just kind of a simplified, and he's a little bit crouched down as opposed to more kind of standing upright. And so I don't know, stuff like that makes me more optimistic if I can see that he's changed some things and is having success. Because I don't know, when you change things, sometimes you don't have success, and then you go back to what you were doing before. I know last year during the year, he like experimented with a toe tap uh, as part of his you know, preparation for the swing. And I don't know what I saw in this one little clip was a more simplified and I thought like repeatable swing. And so when Kapler was talking about what does Bart have to do in spring, he literally said, it's not going to be about the traditional numbers. We're not looking at your average and your home runs and your RBI. And I think even on base and slugging, they're looking at more kind of under the hood stuff. They're looking at contact rates. They're looking at swing decisions what pitches are you swinging at and when it's a pitch that you should be able to do damage on are you doing damage on those pitches and are you putting them in play or are you swinging through pitches that you should be doing damage on etc and so unfortunately for us you know those stats you don't really get during the spring and so all we have is kind of the raw numbers that i'm reading off here the average home runs rbi well no what i'm those yes but also on base and slugging which matter a lot in, you know, evaluation in normal regular season baseball. But in spring training, unfortunately, as we can see from Bart's track record, it doesn't necessarily mean anything in terms of translating to major league success. So let's avoid the temptation to say Bart's having a huge spring, therefore he's earned it, therefore he's going to be great. Because guess what? He had a huge spring last year. He hit 364, 440 on base, 818 slugging. And 
How did that translate? It translated to a lot of struggles in the majors in 2022. So coming up in just a minute, I want to turn our attention to a couple of other things, including in the division, there's a lot going on. Manny Machado extended by the Padres. What does it mean for the Giants who were seeming like a possible suitor for him in the offseason? What does it mean for the Giants because the Padres get Machado for 11 more years? And then some injuries in the division as well. Gavin Lux out for the season with a knee injury. So we'll get into all of it in just a minute. But before we do, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The midway point of the NBA season is here, and now's the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Something I like to look at is kind of when you've got long odds and maybe... There's an opportunity. We've talked about uh, rookie of the year odds in baseball, but also how about this? Uh, Warriors championship odds. You never count these guys out, right? And the probabilities here or the the kind of the line here is plus 1700 on the Warriors to win the championship. So I just have fun looking at that and you can see how it moves with every game. So you can also combine bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So don't miss your chance to get your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right, here we go. We are going to talk about some things in the division. I don't normally go uh, too far outside of Giants land. I know that the tendency, a lot of people really care about what's going on in the division. And my general opinion is that we make too much of a big deal out of what the Dodgers are doing and what the Padres are doing, especially in this new era where the postseason has been expanded. There are six playoff spots available. Only one to the Giants is available by winning the division, whereas three spots are available by not winning the division. And so I always just say, why are we so... Look, obviously you want to finish in first place. You get... uh, Not necessarily, though, I was going to say you get to skip that new first round, the best of three series, but you don't necessarily if you're not one of the top two first place teams in your league. And so there's less importance than ever before in this kind of divisional era in winning the division. So you could literally finish in fourth place under this current playoff structure and make the playoffs so like we make too much of a big deal about oh my god the Giants are going to finish in fourth I mean I I think that the most people will have them finishing in third going into this year but people say oh the Diamondbacks might finish ahead of the Giants well okay there's teams to look out for I don't know I just don't really care and then there's fewer intra-division games than than there have been normally you're playing your divisional opponents 19 times a year that goes down to 14 times a year per team this year and so it just I don't really generally care that much it matters somewhat but okay you know I just worry about yourself and don't worry so much it's like oh my god the Padres got one Soto okay well it's just you know it makes any team in the National League that gets better is a threat to the Giants any team so it's just the Padres are just another team to me in that regard but 
That being said, there's big enough news here that it justifies or warrants talking about, and that is that Manny Machado, I mean, part of why this is relevant to the Giants is because, you know, when we're looking at next year's free agent class, obviously this offseason, the Giants were big game hunting with their pursuits of Aaron Judge and Carlos Correa, came up short. I mean, my goodness, they they really had an agreement with Correa, of course, and then just lightning struck in a negative way there and the the deal fell apart. But when you look at next offseason, there's no reason to think, okay, they tried this year, but they just won't try again. And so we're looking at, okay, who might they go after next offseason? And Manny Machado was one of the top guys. It's basically Otani and it was basically Otani and Machado. And Machado, it wasn't like a pure free agent situation. He had an opt out, but it was like $150 million over five years that he would be opting out of. And it just seemed like a no brainer that he would opt out of that if he had a normal, healthy Manny Machado type of season. So this was a big kind of topic in Padres land, of course, because they didn't want to lose this guy. And I did a crossover with Javier Reyes from Lockdown Padres recently and talked about how it was not too difficult to see a scenario in which things kind of I don't want to say fell apart, but the Padres have a lot of uncertainty kind of moving forward with some guys. And and part of that was Machado opting out and possibly leaving. And so he said he was going to opt out and then set a deadline for an extension. They didn't come to an agreement, but of course, deadlines are flexible, I suppose. If you know you put a great offer on the table, guys will reconsider. And Machado did reconsider, and the, the Padres ended up extending him for 11 years and $350 million starting this year. So he was already under contract. So really, it's a 10-year extension, kind of, because there was five more years, but he could, opt out of, could have opted out of it. But anyway, the key point is that Manny Machado is not going to be available next winter, and he is going to be on the Padres for 11 more years starting this year. So it's bad news in the sense that it takes one of the key free agents off the table for the Giants. It's quote unquote bad news in that a good player remains with the San Diego Padres. Uh, I just want to point out the um, on fan graphs, Dan Zimborski, Zips projections, he hated his projection system, really didn't like the U Darvish extension because Darvish, he's like 37 years old or 36 right now, and they gave him like a six-year extension. And so the Padres are kind of hoping that guys don't have their kind of normal age-related declines here with Darvish. Yeah, I mean, it's he's under contract now for six more seasons with San Diego, and he turns 37 in August. So this is year one of six, and he's going to be 37 this year. And for Machado, the Zips projection system does not like this contract either. According to Zips, over the next 11 years, Manny Machado is worth roughly $180 million, and the Padres gave him 350 over 11. And so, look, I would, I would kind of report this whether or not it was I'm not just like looking for a negative thing to say. This is an, a projection system, which is objective. So I think for the next like three, four years, you have it's a it's a downside for the Giants, certainly. And they can't go after this guy, which is another downside. But when we look at, OK, after three, four more years, you're going to have like a 40 plus year old Darvish under contract for a couple years. You're going to have Machado under contract for like seven more seasons, eight more seasons, uh, entering his mid to late 30s during that process. And 
Juan Soto is going to be a free agent in two years. And so down the road, I just, I'm not sure that I love how huge of a contract this is for Manny Machado. And the big kicker is that he's going to be whatever age he is now. He's going to, he's um, currently 30 years old. He'll turn 31 in July. And so he was 26 when he originally signed this 10-year deal with the Padres. It was a 10-year, $300 million deal. And this was the offseason in which Bryce Harper was also a free agent. So it was Machado and Harper. They were both entering their age 26 season. And for me, if you're the Giants and you're looking back and you want to criticize the Giants, I criticize that they didn't end up with Machado or Harper in that offseason, the 2018-2019 offseason. Because when you're going in, it end, so it was a $300 million deal over 10 years, but the Padres, after five years, just added 11 more years for $350 million. And so it's it ends up being like a $500 million deal over 15 years. I'm not sure. I'd have to like get the numbers out and make sure that's exactly what it is, but it, it's going to end up being a 15-year deal for like $500 million. And so it goes to show you that if you were the Giants, and I know they, they did make a competitive offer to Harper of 12 years, 315, and the Phillies got him for 13 years, 330. So the Giants were right there. But like, man, if you had gone 13, 360, would you have been able to get Bryce Harper? If you had gone, you know, 12, 330, would you have been able to get Machado at the time? And so that's really the regret here. But I just think that 11, 350 for a guy who's going into his age 30 season, technically, but kind of on the cusp of an age 31 season, he will be 31 in July. Uh, you know, it has a it has the potential to be like five years down the road. The Padres could feel like they're stuck with some declining players signed to huge contracts because Machado is going to be, he's going to get old, right? At some point in this deal, he's going to be 35, 40. Uh, it was different for Correa, who also the Giants, you know, it was a $350 million offer that was accepted as well. But Correa is like three years younger. And so those three years, I've said this a million times, coming on the front end as opposed to on the back end. So you're getting three more prime years out of Correa, or you were going to get three more prime years out of Correa than this Machado, the extra years are on the back, or you just don't get those extra years on the front. And then for Xander Bogarts, who they signed this offseason, it's kind of the same deal. Predictions were that Bogarts was going to get a contract of like 180 million, and he ended up getting 280 from the Padres over a much longer term than people thought. But five years down the road, it's very possible now that Juan Soto, there's just no room in the budget for Juan Soto. We'll see. The Padres have kind of defied expectations in that regard for years and in a row now. But it, the way that this contract was structured, they kind of backloaded it to make it cheaper now, which kind of suggests to me that there's not really room for Soto because they're kind of making room for him over the short term, but not over the long term is what it looks like by the way that this contract was structured. So you're going to end up having a backloaded contract for a guy who's in decline. And then Bogarts is going to be 40 something when his contract ends. And then Darvish is going to be in that realm as well. And so we'll see. I think in the next two years, when you've got Machado under contract, you've got Soto under contract, you've got Darvish, et cetera, et cetera, Padres are a really good team. And I think they look like the first place team in the division right now. But down the road, it's not hard because they've gutted their farm system as well. 
to make all these trades that they've made to get Soto, to get Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove, and on and on. They've made a bunch of trades and they've kind of gutted their farm system. And so suddenly, if all these guys are older and expensive, it's not hard to see it kind of falling apart a la the Giants at the end of the 2010s in like 2017, 2018, when a lot of big contracts, a lot of underperformance. It's not hard to see that happening, but we'll see. In the short term, Padres are good and a threat, a real threat. So anyway, what about those pesky Dodgers? Like I just said that I think the Padres look like a first place team. Well, a lot of that is because Gavin Lux got hurt and is just going to miss the entire season. So we'll get into the arch rivals down south, the LA Dodgers, and what the heck, they had a weird offseason and then things took a nasty turn with an injury. We'll get into it in just a minute, but first. All right, as promised, we're going to talk about briefly, I just, you know, keeping tabs on our enemies here with the Padres. I don't want to come across like I'm just focusing on the negative. I hope I'm making it clear that I think for the next at least two years while Juan Soto is there, the Padres look like one of the best teams in the league. But, you know, I'm also being truthful when I say it like five years down the road, I see potential problems with that roster and the fact that they've gutted their farm system to make this roster. And yet, you know, it's a lot's going to come down to Tatis, who's coming back from the uh, PED suspension. And he's he's become like drama and a distraction to that team. He's had motorcycle accidents and PED suspensions and just kind of attitude problems fighting with Manny Machado in the dugout a couple years ago. So, but if he can kind of become a superstar again and just be dominant and he's young, then that could really help them out. And they signed him to a huge contract. So he, he's going to be there for a long time as well. But the Dodgers, they had the weirdest offseason I've seen them have in a long time in that they they didn't really make any significant additions and they had some significant subtractions. They lose Trey Turner, who goes to the Phillies. They lose Justin Turner, uh, who goes to the Red Sox, and he was kind of a big part of their kind of culture over there. And they lose some other guys. And Walker Bueller had Tommy John surgery last year, and so he's going to miss, I think, all of the season. And so... And they didn't. They lose Tyler Anderson, who had a really nice season for them last year, uh, and so a lot of sub- subtractions. And then the plan was to go with these young guys like Gavin Lux as the shortstop, even though he's kind of struggled to fully establish himself as an impact player. He's been decent, but not an impact player. And then like Miguel Vargas is another young guy who they're just gonna. They were just gonna hand these jobs over to. So it's a risk. You don't normally see the Dodgers kind of reliant on unproven players. And yet one of those guys who was already kind of a question mark, Gavin Lux, he ends up tearing his ACL and is going to miss the entire season. And so now the Dodgers had traded for Miguel Rojas from the Miami Marlins, and he's like a decent kind of fallback option. But all in all, the Dodgers suddenly, to me, for the first time, certainly since I've been podcasting regularly, look like the second best team in the division. And so... I just think that's worth pointing out. It's going to be interesting to see, do the Dodgers do something about losing Gavin Lux? Because right now it looks like, uh, you know, Chris Taylor might have to end up, who had a really down year, playing a lot of shortstop. I don't know. I just thought, you know, the state of the division, there's like kind of been a sea change in which it looks like the Padres may be the better team right now. And the Dodgers are kind of on thin ice. Like if they lose a, a Mookie Betts or a Freddie Freeman, suddenly... Are they on par with kind of the Giants in the division or just in the league in general? Maybe. I mean, that's kind of the state of their roster right now. But 
they've got a strong farm system. They're always really good at kind of getting the most out of their players. So I wouldn't, I don't think they're a bad team by any means, but they're kind of vulnerable. And we've talked about the Padres are vulnerable to some injuries. By the way, Joe Musgrove, one of their, if you listen to the crossover with Javier Reyes, we talked about how their starting pitching seemed vulnerable. And if they had some injuries, then they're really thin. And they're one of their best pitchers, Joe Musgrove, broke his toe, dropping a kettlebell on it in the weight room. And so one guy goes down, he's going to miss at least a couple weeks, but wouldn't be surprised if it's a little more than that. So I don't know, just it's a little bit strange what's going on with the two teams that are quote unquote ahead of the Giants in the division right now. We'll see. But Giants are built in a really different way in that there's just like tons of depth and not necessarily tons of like the Betzes and Freemans and Machados and so not not even necessarily. The Giants don't have those kinds of players, but they have just more depth than the Dodgers and the Padres, it looks like to me. So anyway, that's just kind of the state of the division, even though, like I said, I just view other teams, like the Phillies matter just as much almost to me as what the Padres and Dodgers are doing. The Brewers matter just as much. Those are the teams you're probably going to end up competing with for a playoff spot. So Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen. Now for your second listen, check out Locked on Fantasy Baseball. Win your league by listening to Matt and Dom every day as they bring you the best fantasy draft strategies. Find Locked on Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Locked on Podcast Network where it's your team every day. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. It helps me out a lot. So thank you in advance and thanks to everyone who's done so already. Can't wait to be with you again tomorrow. Big game today for the Giants in that Kyle Harrison is going to pitch some other intriguing prospects in the lineup and going to pitch as well. So we'll have the latest from spring training for you tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. Today, you are now Locked on Giants.